This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Jennifer Grant, CMO at Looker. Jen has also previously held senior marketing positions at Google and Box. In this interview with Ian and Lauren, Jen talks about balancing data and human interaction, the future of customer experience, and how up-and-coming marketers can set themselves up for long-term success. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on? Not too much. It is an exciting day in actually sunny San Francisco today. Yeah, and we're this is going to be a fun episode because our guest, who's also on the other line, you have some shared but not super shared history at Box, which we'll get into, but let's get to Jen Grant. What's going on? Hey, it's so great to be here, you guys. And of course, I'm in sunny Santa Cruz, so... Uh, just steps away from the beach. Oh, no kidding. Oh, man. Ian, Ian knows that, and actually most of our listeners know, that anytime I'm not on the uh, I'm not on the recording, it's probably because I'm in Santa Cruz. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, look, Looker is in Santa Cruz, and I live in Santa Cruz, and I feel super happy to have made that uh, work-life balance work itself out. <laughs> Yeah, that's exciting. We'll have to do uh, our next one. We'll have to we'll have to do in person uh, <laughs> for sure. I can go down and be a failing surfer, <laughs> and we could go in and have this amazing recording and talk about marketing and about Looker. No failures. It's just learning experiences. Just just, just learning. I'm not going to get caught on the rocks. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> exactly. So we are going to get into. Jen's background today, we're going to talk about customer experience. We're going to talk about data. We're going to talk about being a a CMO and all things in between. But first, Jen, how'd you get into marketing? You know, it's interesting. When I was in college, I thought, I'm going to be an actress. This will be amazing. (laughs) Uh, And then I got out of college and realized you don't make very much money doing that. And, And the second realization was it really wasn't the acting, it was the creativity. And as I started to, you know, I started a career in consulting and I got into tech and I realized that combination of technology and creativity and communication was really what my passion was. And that, and that was sort of the, what drew me into becoming a, a marketer. Yeah. And you spent some early time at some really interesting companies and actually throughout your career with uh, Oracle, Google, Box, and now CMO at Looker how were you selecting the companies that you were working for and what, when did you kind of get into the, the full marketing landscape? I, I got into m- full marketing when I ended up at Google. I think the Oracle, I was a consultant and I was really learning technology and that was right in the, as things were shifting to the cloud. Although at Oracle at the time we called it the network computer. So <laughs> that dates me a little bit. Um, And so then when I was at Google, I was deeply into product marketing and I worked on Google Book Search, which was an immensely educational and fascinating product to work on because it was so controversial and yet so uh, philosophically wonderful in what Google was was trying to do with scanning the world's books. Um, So I started there. And then what's interesting is that both Google and Box, I ended up at those companies through 
the the network of women that I've kept up over time. So there, they both happened to be named Karen. Uh, so there was a Karen who I sang with in college, who was at Google in the legal department, and she sort of pulled me in there. And then for Box, there was another Karen who I had met through the Forum for Women Executives and Entrepreneurs, which is now called Watermark. And that Karen, uh, Karen Appleton Page, she said, you've got to come to this company, box.net. And, and I was <laughs> like, that sounds like the goofiest company ever. Uh, and, you know, and it was files. And here I was, I was at the time I was working at, at Google on Gmail. And I was very aware that they were working on what later was launched as Google Drive. And I knew, you know, Google Docs, Google, Google Spreadsheets, those were all in my team. The marketers who were working on them were on my team. And there was just something about the way Karen just told me to do it. <laughs> Which is very, very Karen of, no, no, this is what you're doing. <laughs> She's exactly right. She said, you know what? Just get in here. We need you. This thing is going to go somewhere. And, you know, it was a little bit of a leap of faith. I had met Aaron Levy, who's the, uh, the CEO, who is a fantastic human being and really inspiring. And at the time, he was very, very young. I believe he might have been 21 at the time. But there was just something, something happening, something going on. And then Karen sort of kicked me in the pants and, and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'd say those first two jumps were, were not as thoughtful as, as I probably wish they were. I think when I went to Looker, it was a, a much more thoughtful search around, do they have customers that are already wildly excited about the product, which they did. And then on the flip side, and is their marketing and their website and their messaging kind of meh and not really getting the point across. And, you know, four years ago, that was definitely the case with Looker. And um, so it was this, that's always what I'm looking for is this combination of the, the product is actually serving customers so well that they are actively talking about how much they love it. And then on the flip side, they don't have the communication and the marketing to really explain why these people are so passionate about the product. And that's the sweet spot of marketing. Like, get me in there. I'm ready to blow this thing up. So that's how I chose Looker. It was a little bit more thoughtful. <laughs> You know what it makes me think of so much? And I love that story. And it's the the serendipity in the beginning of our careers of yes. you get a phone call from a woman you used to sing with, or you have Karen Appleton Page going, look, Jen, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> right. <And> just, <laughs> we follow our hearts and we we fall into the serendipity of, you know what, this feels right. I, I want to do this. And then the more established we get, it just becomes so, so logical and yeah. is this the right role and is this the right decision? And I could tell you the early part of my career was maybe I'll be a bartender or maybe I'll go into marketing. And whatever, right. like this seems fun. Okay, fun. I am so grateful that I got rejected as a bartender for um, <laughs> whatever that bar was at like 14th Street in the early 2000s. I am so glad. I got rejected. Maybe it was Roseland Ballroom or something because being rejected for that job gave me a phenomenal career and career path in marketing. And no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. I think there's, there's so often as you're going through your career where you have these, you know, downfalls or things that happen. And at the time they're really upsetting, like, Oh, it didn't work out with this company or that company. I mean, so many times been rejected by a company or, you know, joined a company for a week and knew that it was the wrong thing, right? And at the end of the day, what you realize is actually that was a good thing because the companies that you really fit with show up next or, you know, yes. are, are, are still out there. So anyway, I totally agree with you. And now, and I'd love your take on this. As we get older and have become more established, and this is great advice for other marketing leaders and upcoming marketers, should we chill a little bit and let sort of serendipity help us with our careers? Or should we be this super focused, nope, this is what we're doing. This is what we have to do. I'm very methodical now. That's a really good question. Okay, so here's my nuanced answer. I think as you get deeper into your career where you're a director and then you're a VP and then you're a C-level, 
the relationship and the ability to execute of the executive team that you're going to work with of these, you know, the other VPs or the other C-level execs becomes very, very critical to your happiness <laughs> and your ability to succeed. And I think, so, you know, when you're early in your career, it's easier to jump into a great company and, and, and make waves and do great things and sort of expand and grow and get promoted. But once you're at that higher level, your success is, is really intertwined with whether these people you work with will work with you. So we all know the sales and marketing relationship and the criticality of that going well, like that piece. When I came to Looker, one of the key reasons is I met the head of sales and he was a hoot and I love him and we have a whole lot in common and he's super friendly and we get passionate together, but we also were both able to say, hey, you know, something's going wrong. Let's look at the data. Let's figure it out. You know, there's going to be something for you to do. There's going to be something for me to do. You know, we're not going to point fingers because that doesn't help anybody. And, and so when you're in that C level or that VP level, you've got to make sure those relationships are going to go well. You can't always predict it in the interview process, but you really do need to look for any red flags that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of politics or, or bureaucracy or sort of bad blood in, in that team. So that's kind of how I think about it now. I think, it, you know, earlier in my career, it didn't really matter because I was you know, I'm going to do great projects and I'm going to do great work and I get promoted. And, you know, there isn't as much interconnectivity with that, with that executive team. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, how, so how many employees was Box when you joined? Oh, Box, it was like 30 employees. I think <laughs> it was super small. We were, it was, a, oh, it was so much fun. It's much, it was much earlier than I joined Looker at 150 people. So to, to contrast, I think Box was right at that moment of going, Hey, Let's sell to businesses. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, they may actually pay us. That seems like a, a reasonable strategy. <laughs> Whereas with Looker, it was 150 employees. You know, clearly they had a sales team, and it was more about scale. How do we scale marketing? How do we scale sales? We're gonna we're gonna grow. You know, huge growth over the next or the in the last four years, we've done the typical sort of growth stage where we're growing like crazy and hiring like crazy and the marketing uh, that we do needs to support all that crazy growth. So it's a, a different stage. Box was, Box was so much fun. It was crazy land. We sat around and tried to, we sat around and thought about what our strategy was. How do we create a category? What do we call it? What does it, what does it mean to create a category? And then we would, we want to announce that we have an integration with Salesforce. Well, Salesforce won't talk to us. So can we just do a press release and say how we integrate with Salesforce or how to, which we did. <laughs> and, you know, how do we get the word out about our crazy company? And, you know, in the end of that crazy time was the billboard campaign, which was one of the, the key turning points of the company is when we've said we put up on a billboard on the only one billboard box versus SharePoint sharing should be simple. And like that one act, that one billboard started a whole lot of conversations that led to great things. Aaron would talk to VCs and they would say, Oh, how do you compete with SharePoint? Which was exactly the conversation he wanted to have. Instead of previously, the conversation was like, wait, so you store files or your storage? <laughs> yeah. And then he would just have to get away from being storage. The minute we put ourselves up against SharePoint, the conversation was around, oh, this is a cloud file system. This is collaboration. This is content. You know, this is you know, way more than just storing things. And so that, that was a much different stage of Box. It was super fun. I really had such a lovely time. <laughs> well, that's a really interesting, I mean, and that's, that's a fascinating insight because a lot of times when you hear about, you'll hear marketers say, like, don't ever put your competitors on a yeah. piece of material, right? Don't like yep. give them press. And then the other thing that I think, you know, when you're creating a category, it's like, there inherently is not a competitor in this, in this category. You're, that's right. you're fighting yeah. a a group of one. So how did you, how did you kind of do both at the same time where you were focusing on like certain marketing materials being, you know, category creation and design versus a competitive landscape kind of copy for lack of a better word? Yeah, I think it's really important because I think often, especially smaller companies, marketers will come into a company and the CEO or the founder will say, find the one thing, 
find that one tagline, find that one thing that makes everybody want to buy our product. That's all it takes, right? Is one, <laughs> one thing. It's one, one phrase. Thing. There's always that, that one magic bullet that's going to make exactly. it perfect. You put four words together. I'm sure you'll figure them out and that's all we'll ever need. And I, I, think the, I think the reality is that you have to think about your marketing in, in many layers. So, you know, in the early days of Box, what we were really selling was a replacement to FTP servers effectively. Or if somebody wanted to send a very, very big file, we had customers that told us how they were using bike riders to send CDs across town. Like that was what we were replacing in the early days, but that's not what we want to put on a billboard. <laughs> so it was, it was the billboard and sort of our thought leadership was all the aspirational vision of the future. And then on our website, we would actually sort of sell it. Like, here's our demand gen campaign. That's, we're going to replace your FTP system and make your life better. But the vision is all about, we want to replace every file system of every large company with this cloud solution. So th there's nuance in the different layers of marketing that you, that you need to be open to. And then the, the, the funny thing about mentioning a competitor because it's true. You should never mention a competitor except if they're Microsoft. <laughs> and I, I will also add as my, no offense, having been on the other side of the, the fence or Oracle. Sure. Or Oracle. <laughs> yes. If they are large and not really well liked. Yes. Bring out your large competitor. <laughs> right. Right. And if you'll, if you'll notice, like as Dropbox started to sort of catch up and then overtake us, certainly from a, from a end user perspective, from sort of the personal sync and of their files perspective, we never talked about Dropbox except yeah. when asked by the press because Dropbox was loved still is like people had a great experience with the product. And so it didn't resonate to say like, and they're bad guys. <laughs> And so instead, we just used, uh, we just positioned ourselves and said, Dropbox, they're wonderful for your personal files. What a great way to sync all your personal files. At Box, what we focus on is security and making your IT happy and making sure your entire organization can actually use this product. So, yeah. so we would never say, like, Dropbox is bad. Now, in the case of Microsoft, it's much easier to get away with that because there's not a lot of people that would go, oh, poor Microsoft, they're being <laughs> mean. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so interesting because positioning it less as a marketing talking point and more of a sales talking point. Like let the, let the salesperson have that conversation. We're going to talk about customer experience, so maybe we kind of just get into that now. But sure. it's this idea that if you're helping your salespeople shape those conversations but you don't need to overtly say it. You can just point to the category that you're trying to win or your positioning or whatever, you know, whatever you call it. How did you leverage? Cause I know that that was part of this, right? This whole customer experience and just having someone who kind of has your back rather than the alternative of like kind of the do it yourself. Did you use any of that type of messaging? How did you empower sales in that way? Like what was that? What was that kind of like? Yeah, I think, so the thing about customer experience and, you know, working with sales is typically marketing kind of, you know, creates the leads, creates the opportunities, maybe creates a great experience at an event, and then they chuck it over the fence at sales, and then it's like, have fun, um, and hope you can close that, and hopefully they do. And I think as, you know, as all of us marketers who are working in the SaaS space, started to sort of really think about what it means to be SaaS. And in fact, I, I even uh, heard a professor walk through a whole mathematical analysis of how this works, where effectively you put, you know, you put a dollar into advertising and you're going to get, you know, average 10, 10 cents off that dollar. You put a dollar into, into making a great customer experience and continuing to get people to renew and come back. And that becomes double. So that becomes $2. So it's a, it's such a stark and important uh, ratio of where you spend your time and your money that when you start looking at the experience through the sales cycle and then the experience as they become a customer and the value of increasing your renewal rate when you're a SaaS company, that it, it becomes very clear that it is worth spending headcount and money towards making that experience great. 
and that and that was sort of the you know when we talked about it at Looker, the customer experience is very very important to us. We have our support team is called the Department of Customer Love um, because we do truly believe that you know we want to be there for our customers at every step. And in this case, it started to be clear like, well, actually, marketing should spend some of those dollars and some of that headcount focused on making sure that we have a consistent experience when, because naturally you, you're a lead, then you're talking to sales, then maybe you're with professional services deploying the product. Well, these are all different teams, but we don't want our customer to feel like they're being kind of tossed over the fence and then tossed over again. And then, you know, they're done with their deployment. And so now they, they're tossed over the fence to a customer success manager who, you know, may or may not have time to spend with them. And we don't want that to be the experience. And so, so that was sort of the, the genesis of the thinking about it and, you know, kind of gives you a flavor for how we're focusing on it and what we're focused on. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's the, the thing that we often forget is just because we're different teams doesn't mean that the customer should feel like it's different teams. To the That's customer, right. we are all one and the same, whether it's sales engineering or demo <laughs> engineering or right. employment team or your CSM, it's all the same. And the more we ask them the same questions, oh, the gosh, more yes. goes, <laughs> we're, we don't care and we're not paying attention. And there's this opportunity to really stand out and stand out as a vendor and turn into a partner and a trusted resource by just actually putting the customer first and thinking more from their perspective versus from ours. Exactly. No, totally. So let's take a step back really quick because I want to make sure that our listeners, uh, you know, are familiar with Looker and kind of the, the business landscape that you're working in. Business intelligence is a category that, um, and, and you could speak, you know, more to this, but I think for a lot of folks might not necessarily know what BI is or does or, or kind of this this market. Could you share more about like what marketing looks like? <laughs> what marketing looks like at Looker? Um, yes. <laughs> and the, and the, the kind of the scope of the problem that you all are, are solving. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Coming into this industry, business intelligence is very, very crowded. There's lots of different vendors that say they're doing business intelligence. And one of the things that I think we've done at Looker, which is really important, is we've expanded the definition of, of data and of who uses data. I think all of the business intelligence providers today, they think about an analyst. They think about someone who already understands data and all they need to do is deliver that data and give them some pretty charts and graphs. And we do that, of course. But the real interesting direction that, that we really want to go is the fact that everyone needs data to do their jobs better. Data may not be their job like a data analyst would be, but they need data to be better at their job. And, yeah. and that's, that's really the fundamental leap that we're making by, you know, the, we talk about Looker as a data platform that delivers insights to everyone. And of course, you know, that sounds very, very light uh, and, and it doesn't feel as meaty, but the, but, the, but the real benefit there is thinking about at a business, let's take ThreadUp is a great example. So they have a two-sided business. They have people who give them almost brand new clothing and then they sell said almost brand new clothing to the people who shop their stores or shop their online store. And so what Looker does is every part of that funnel, we are to the minute telling the people who are making those minute by minute decisions what's going on. So they have a 3 p.m. call or a 3 p.m dashboard report that goes out to everyone and they say, okay, what do we need to do to make our numbers by the end of today? <laughs> it's, it's not like business intelligence where let's look at the last five years and let's see what insights. And sure, you can do that. Everybody does that. But this is like that operational get data in the workflow of your day-to-day. -day. Deliveroo is, the, is that cool European com company that you know, delivers groceries and their drivers have iPhones with them all the time that tell them where to go and how to optimize. You know, some of the optimi optimization is when to go to the warehouse to get the food. And all of that is, is running through Looker and 
that data is delivered in real time. So it's this, it's moving business intelligence from this sort of backward facing historical thing to be this sort of real time in your workflow. You don't have to go to a BI tool. It's going to show up in Salesforce. If you're a sales rep, it's going to show up uh, in, you know, whatever tool you happen to be using so that everyone in the company can have all that they need to be better at their jobs. Did you find like initially, I mean, because you were in technology, obviously getting to know the BI space was something obviously you were tangential to or familiar with that stepping in, you know, part of the reason why you were so excited is to see the opportunity that, um, you know, you know, big data and all of this has going towards, towards the future. I mean, obviously looking at all the stuff you saw at Google and at Box and just the massive amounts of data that were, you know, being stored every day. Yes, no, exactly. And, and when I came here, that is, that is the, the sort of thing that I knew. I really understood, like we, everybody was storing tons of data. Nobody was really sure they were getting value out of it. That's kind of what I came yeah. with. And, and one, of the, one of the things about Looker that's, that's sort of fun is as a marketer in past jobs, even at Google, which is such an enormous company, you'd think that they'd have better access to data. It was always a struggle to get data, always. There's always, you know, they don't have this system yet. They need an engineer to do that. They've got to pull the data in this way. They don't have a large enough BI tool to sort of munge through what the question you want to ask. So it's always been a struggle. And one of the wonderful moments um, that all of us marketers when we joined Google uh, had is this moment of like, oh my gosh, there's so much more data that I have here than I have ever had before. And my VP of demand gen is this wonderfully very poised woman who, when she first really got into Looker, went running down the hall going, this is amazing. I've never had any of this data before. (laughs) And it's such a good example of, you know, how deeply marketing cares about getting data and how deeply we care about making sure it's reliable. So our sales leader partner is looking at the same data that we're looking at. So we're not fighting over whose data is right. We're just talking about what the strategy is and how to close whatever gaps we're seeing in the business. Has it changed the way that you view data as a CMO? You know, it definitely has. That's a a really good question. It has in two ways. The first way, uh, it's really, and, and this is for any new CMO, CMO for 20 years, or even new marketer, the power of being able to have reliable, accurate data so that you know what is going on. So you can accurately accurately say, this is what I've delivered to the business is so important because if you have that confidence and that power of, okay, we are delivering the numbers, you can actually do all the marketing that you want to do, which is the brand campaign and the PR and the thought leadership blog and in the messaging and, and all of the stuff that we know is the right thing to do and we know we need to do. But in tech companies, as they're in that growth stage, people freak out about the numbers. So if you have all the numbers and that confidence, there's so much more you can do as a marketer. So for me, that that's, a, that's one hugely important piece of it. I think in, in previous jobs, I would have felt so much more confident having had access to the amount of data that, that I do here at Looker. And then I think the second thing is, what's interesting is then, you know, we do a lot of events at Looker. We do a lot of face-to-face and meetups and dinners, and we have our user conference join, and we have these city tours called Join the Tour at Box. Um, we had Boxworks, and then we had Box World Tour. And it occurred to me that Often, as marketers, we get so stuck in the data that we forget that we actually need to be interacting in real life with people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the automated email is not as effective as meeting someone at one of these events or going out to dinner with a customer. And Especially. so I've also changed my feeling there, too, is that data is super important for that foundation, but that in real life kind of marketing is is actually very, very effective and we can't walk away from it. And I, I was going to say, I, I feel like, and I love your perspective, I, I feel like 
the more we started to get access to data and the more predictable digital started to become, you know, in the last 15 years, marketers kept getting really excited about this and only looking at this is what's trackable. This is what the numbers say. And there was a time where a lot of marketers lost the, yes. the, the, the art, the heart and the soul. Story. Yes. <laughs> and now just hearing you talk about there's such a bigger impact from actually human interaction. And you know what? It's got to be hard to track the exact dollar amount that conversation had when I, you know, talked to a customer or a prospect at this event, or I met them here. And, but we can't, we can't miss that. And we can't miss the, the story and the narrative. Yes, absolutely. We, we had a, whole sort of interesting, you know, we have great tools that we're running on our website and they're constantly optimizing and constantly changing the copy and the color and this and that to find, you know, what's going to get people to click on that, show me a demo button more. And we optimize and optimize and optimize. And all of a sudden I went back to the homepage and was like, who are we? What's our story? None of this fits together. <laughs> and, it, and eventually it'll start sort of optimizing to the ununique if that makes sense, sort of the unoriginal. Yep. It optimizes towards the average of yeah. you know, what people expect every BI company to say. And none of it really fits together. And so that, you know, so what I, what I love to think about is how do you balance, because optimization is critically important, but how do you balance that with, this is our story and this is who we are and we can't lose that just because the data tells us that this word is better to use than that word. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and if it's not part of, so, and actually I wanted to ask about this because one of your buttons is start your POC, um, yeah. like the, the, the demo button. Why do you use that? Like, it's definitely, I was like, what is this? Like, I didn't even know what yeah. it was. Yep. Proof of concept. Yeah. The, the origin of Looker, the first sales rep of Looker was our founder, Lloyd. And he's this fantastic brilliant engineer who actually is uh, deeply a people person. So it's, he's a very rare and unique person. And the beginning of Looker, he would go to customers and he would say, hey, you know, I got this thing. Let me put it on top of your data and let me show you something about your data that you've never thought before, that you've never seen before. And, and, and that's exactly how he would sell the product. He would just put it on top of, you know, they, let's say they had a, you know, an AWS Redshift uh, database where they had put all their customer data. And mm-hmm. he'd say, okay, let me put Looker on top of it. And then he would immediately just sort of dive in, explore through the data and start pulling out insights that they had never seen before. And um, part, part of what they did, obviously, is sell the product and, and prove it. And then the, the other funny outcome is that many of these early customers became employees because they were so overwhelmed and bought into the, to the business. And of course, Deloitte that they, they wanted to, to work here, <laughs> but that's actually where it comes from is this belief that, you know, we can show you, we could talk forever marketing speak about, you know, you'll get insights and it'll be amazing and it's centralized and it's unifies your company. We can say all those things, but the minute we show you something in your data you've never seen before, then, then we've really hooked you on why this is different than anything else. And that's kind of why we focus on that. I want to, I want to know what kinds of big bets that you're making. What are the things that you're excited about as CMO? What are the type of things, you know, you talked a little bit about events and join, which have never been. We need to, we need to get marketing trends to, uh, to join this year. But, um, but yeah, I'm curious about like what big bets you're excited about making um, yeah. and the type of things that, uh, that fire you up. Yeah, I think, you know, starting with what you mentioned, join, a big piece of what gets me excited to get our very first user conference was, I think, two or three years ago. And of course, I talked to lots of customers, but there was one customer who said something to me which really resonated. He said, you know, when I'm at my company, I'm on my Looker Island. And now when I'm here, everyone's on my island and they all understand what I'm talking about and they all want to know what I'm doing and I want to know what they're doing. And it's just such a wonderful place to be. And it was such like a, 
such a great moment to say, yes, that is why we have a user conference. <laughs> that is why we bring people together to share what they're doing because it is really important for people to connect and they really want to talk to other people who have the same job, who have the same, you know, the same way that us marketers, we like to get together too and talk about all the things that we have to deal with and the stuff that we're doing. It's the same thing with the folks that use Looker. These are people who love data and who are doing really interesting things with it and getting together and getting ideas. So that's certainly one. And then the second is, you know, what we were talking about before. I'm really excited to dive into the customer experience. Um, we talked about those, uh, Lauren, you mentioned the sort of the things that you can't quantify. One of the very first simple, easy projects that we did around customer experience is we just created the process so that everyone in support and everyone who faces customers has a little bit of a budget. So if there is a moment that they identify where we could do something creative, interesting, fun, that they had the power to say, you know, I just had this conversation with one of our customers that I was supporting who mentioned he used to have this uh, UCSC t-shirt because that's his alma mater and he lost Go it slugs. and was so depressed about it. <laughs> right. And so what did the rep do? Well, they went and got a t-shirt and sent it to them and said, you know what? We're in Santa Cruz. I got you that t-shirt. So it's like tiny, like from a marketing perspective, it's, it's so marginal from, you know, $20 for a t-shirt, but the impact of that human connection and, and saying, I heard you and I'm doing something a little fun, I think is really important. And so that, that's this, you know, tiny little sliver of what we're doing in customer experience, but definitely what I'm excited about. I love that story because it's, it also really speaks to how you're empowering employees. Yes. It's not, so if you have an idea, I need you to file this ticket, right. put your justification for <laughs> what you have to do. It's going to be reviewed on a biweekly basis by right. a committee, stack ranked. And if we decide that this works, we'll then approve the money for you. I need to get the exact receipt. And you need to also log it and tell me the impact. <laughs> Exactly. We need to track and understand how it helped with renewals and upsell over the next two years. <laughs> Absolutely. And by the way, that's going to be part of your performance review. So if you weren't <laughs> tracking it, that's going to that's going to count against you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's got to be something. I mean, obviously, we're we're not going to send a customer, you know, two thousand dollars worth of something. These are little things. You know, they find out someone is is pregnant and having a baby. We'll send them a looker onesie, of course. It's like, thoughtful and meaningful, and it yeah. shows that you're paying attention and you actually care about the customer, not just yeah. about, you know what? You Their, money. Their money. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I will tell you, I'm not going to say the company because I try to be a, a good human. You get this a lot, Jen. As a, as a marketer, we have budget. Yep. And I had a very large six-figure renewal for a product that we fundamentally weren't happy with. Yeah. And when I wasn't involved, they knew we weren't happy. I wasn't the point of contact. I was the, you know, the signer. And all of a sudden, as soon as the renewal process, the CSM reaches out to me. Yeah. And <laughs> doesn't listen to me and then sends me over a renewal for, I kid you not, 50% more. Oh my gosh. And I sat there and was like, look, we're not, this isn't working for us. And here's the things, and this is what you sold us. And here's all the problems. And to be perfectly honest, what I need is a make good. And I need you to fix all of these things for us. And right. the entire time, the entire process, I was like, look, I understand I'm just a number to you. You have not listened to a word that I say. Yeah. And now my desire to ever work with you again is non-existent. Yep. It's, yeah. And then I think that happens all the time. Absolutely happens all the time. So how do you, so then how do you budget around that? I mean, that I'm curious from like a tactical standpoint, you know, yeah. we have workers who have a thousand sales reps. We have other folks who have, you know, 10, you know, if we're getting a thousand uh, banana slug t-shirts, which I mean, really everyone should have one. So I totally get it. <laughs> um, I mean, a banana slug with sunglasses on is, uh, it's pretty sweet. But yeah, I mean, how, how would you go about doing that? And then, and then how, would you, how would you pitch that to the CEO? Because ultimately, you know, again, 
your CEO might not care about purchase levels of that size, but when that gets back around to the VP of sales or chief revenue officer or whatever it is, and they go, you were spending what on banana slug t-shirts? Like, what are we- <laughs> Yeah, I think that there, there's sort of two parts of it. One is you can't give this to sales because they'll just give away a thousand t-shirts and they, they don't care because if it helps them close a the deal, <laughs> they'll do whatever. And yeah, this has to everybody. Exactly. This has to be for the people in your organization that truly care about the customer and that, you know, their role is to make the customer happy, not necessarily to sell. Um, so usually they're not commissioned. So when you, you know, sometimes CSMs are, are commissioned, sometimes they aren't, but in our case, they aren't. We have a renewals team that's separate. So that gives us the opportunity to work with the people that aren't trying to sell. So they're not going to be giving out stuff, hoping for a sale. They're just giving it out because it, it was a moment in time that they felt like was the right thing. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is we've worked very closely with the managers. So we have, you know, uh, support managers who manage, you know, 10 support reps. And so some of it is in, it's a pool of resources that the manager has has available. And then we make sure that we're sort of, oh, okay, what did we do this month? And then we try to celebrate it and say, oh, we did this thing and, you know, made the customer happy. And then we highlight, hopefully there's a tweet or there's a, oh my gosh, thank you. I love you guys that we get from it. And we highlight that internally so that everybody sees, oh, this is what it is. And then the third thing is you've got to keep these gifts to a pretty small dollar amount. And that, that is because um, as we decided to roll this program out, of course, we then heard from accounting all sorts of rules about gifts and, you know, when something has to be taxed or not taxed. And so you have to make sure you stay within, you know, kind of a small, a small thing. Because uh, the minute it gets anywhere, anywhere big, um, it becomes like a taxable event, which you never want your customers to have to experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're oh, welcome no. for our bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to like W2 a customer. Well, we gave you this thing. <laughs> it's income. Um, no. <laughs> so there is a little bit of work from that standpoint and making sure you have, you know, it's, it's doable that people have the power to do it and make these decisions, but that also you have a little bit of control so that obviously, so you can track and manage the budget. But in, you know, in reality, the mar- marketing budgets are so large that um, our, what we call our delight budget is fairly minimal. It, it doesn't, it's not one of the big line items. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make people raise their eyebrows and, and worry too much. What's the worst campaign that you've <laughs> been a part of? Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. I can't even think of anything because, you know, you forget them. You're like, just never think about it again. Yeah, right. Never do that again. Something we, I'm sure there's something we've done. What about, we could start with what's, what's your favorite one or one of the favorites? <laughs> I, you know, I have a lot of heart for that first billboard at Box, but there was like two or three billboards after that that were so funny. And I think there was something about being a company that small that we could get away with being a little more tongue in cheek and have a little bit more fun. My favorite was, we had a billboard that had a whole lot of words on it, which of course was the joke. And it said, boxes like SharePoint, except for the, and then it had this long, long list and the font shrunk at each line. And we threw in things like hair loss and, you know, except for the Microsoft. But the beginning was things like, you know, the difficulties of, you know, except for the servers and the uptime and the SLAs and the da, 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 da. And so we listed all these things and threw in some stuff. And for some reason, that's just my favorite because it was so funny. <laughs> and I loved that we could, we were small enough company that we, we could get away with it. I think once you get to be a larger company and you have a board and you're, you know, 500, 600 people, everybody has an opinion about what you do and everyone's opinion about what is funny and not funny is different. And so there's a little bit of just, you just get a lot more feedback if you're trying to be funny. And so you actually, that's where you do need to work with an agency because you need that sort of third party view of like, is this funny or not? (laughs) Can you help us? So I would say that one. And then as I was talking, I remembered worst campaign ever. (laughs) There's two of them, but uh, it was basically early days box. We were working on demand gen 
And someone in the company said, you know what, I think direct mail is the way to go. And, and I've heard that, you know, all these direct mail campaigns are doing better than email. And we said, okay, and we got an agency and, and we ended up writing a, a letter. <laughs> so, so we sent to IT a typed letter, you know, dear person, we really think you should be, share, you should be using Box to share your files and here's all the great benefits. And if you respond, you'll get a coffee mug. <laughs> Oh, such a ridiculously bad campaign. And I think it was, you know, there was, it was sort of like we were being pulled by our nose a little bit, like our, my gut. And I think many people on my team, our gut instinct was like, this is a terrible idea, but we were getting so much pressure, like, oh, well, direct mail. And, you know, I was at this other company it worked for us there and we should do it here and you should do it like this with a letter. And we're like, a letter? I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, we, you know, I probably wasn't feeling as confident as I would today to say, no, that's a terrible idea. We're not going to do that. Um, but that was probably the worst. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like the, the classic least effort, most revenue sort of a thing where you're like, I'm fine running the experiment. But now that we also have to do the second action of this, yes. which is like, if you wanted to see if the direct mailer would work, don't have a, a second trigger that's going to like nail, nail, like if we're going to dig the grave, don't, don't make us have something that's going to push the dirt over us too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a morbid reference by me, but. Yeah. Although I will say there was, there were like five people that actually took that piece of paper and typed in the URL and got a coffee mug. <laughs> there you go. Five oh. very determined coffee drinkers. Exactly. I was like, really? Was the coffee mug that exciting? <laughs> I thought it was going to be the opposite. I thought it was going to be like a thousand people that just wanted the coffee mugs and were like, you know. No, because I think, I think actually reading, I mean, just think about this nowadays. Like we read in tweets. This was a full page letter. <laughs> Horrible idea. I agree. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, well. <laughs> you know, it was a good idea at the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? It goes to say that not all ideas are good ideas, but, you know, give it a shot. And exactly. maybe not yeah. everyone's, uh, we shouldn't have to listen to every single, every single person. Exactly. Everybody has ideas about marketing. And it did teach me a little bit around, I need to be better at, listening and taking the ideas in, but then also trusting my instincts and saying, wait a minute, you know, well, what are we trying to achieve? Maybe there's a better way to achieve the thing that this person is getting at. And there probably is a better way. So let's get them involved and have a brainstorm and, and, you know, try to go a different direction. I, I think that is one of the best pieces of advice for, for marketing leaders, up and coming marketing <laughs> leaders, marketers in general of everyone has an opinion about what you do. Good Lord, yes. <laughs> does not mean all opinions are created equal. Does not mean everybody's right. Yes. <laughs> Understand what they're trying to do and trust yourself as the marketing leader. Yeah. And for those five people, you know, they might, they might still have, if anyone is listening and has one of the mugs. We'll send you a Slugs t-shirt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. We'll send you a UCS, UCSC uh, and uh, something from the upcoming, soon-to-be live mission store. It's a teaser. Let's get into the lightning round. Thanks to our good friends at Pardot, fast and easy marketing automation. Just like these fast and easy marketing questions, you're going to get in the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Oh, Zombies Run. Zombies run. That's a <laughs> first. We haven't got that one yet. <laughs> How about your favorite one day getaway in the Bay Area? Uh, Santa Cruz Beach. Oh. I was like, you're cheating. You get to do that every day. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Make everybody jealous. Okay. What is your favorite book you're reading or you read recently? I just read, believe it or not, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. It was great. <laughs> what about the thing you're most excited about for the future of marketing? I'm excited about customer experience. It's such an expansion over what we normally are tasked to do. How about 
favorite TV show or podcast that you're watching or listening to? Oh my gosh, I don't listen. I don't <laughs> I don't have a TV. Um, I go on YouTube and I do yoga. There we go. Yoga with Adrian. <laughs> what question do you never get asked that you would like to be asked? Oh, uh, how are your kids today? Oh, that's adorable. How are your kids today? How are your kids today? They're so good. My son finished his assignment. My girls are, you know, super happy because they're doing well in school. There we go. <laughs> Love it. Anything else to uh, to share or to plug? I mean, I guess everyone should check out Join and uh, just head to looker.com. Um, anything else going on that's exciting? Yeah, those are the main things. We've got Join. We've got checking out looker.com and seeing what we can do to help people with data. I think those are our big things right now. Awesome. Jen, this has been great. We got to have you in studio. Come to Palo Alto next time you're in Palo Alto. <laughs> Definitely. I grew up there, so I know it very well. Oh, no or kidding. we can take the show to Santa Cruz. We could do, yeah, we could do it. We could go on the road. We got the equipment, get the team gear. Um, thanks so much for hanging out. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be following along. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers, to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.